0: Why did Christ die? Why did Christ die? No doubt, when I just asked you that, many of you probably thought in your minds, well, Christ died so that I wouldn't have to go to hell. He died so that I could have a relationship with Him and that I could be saved. And while all those things are true, there is more To the death of Christ. Perhaps the death of Christ. Is much more. Than just fire insurance. Perhaps there is much greater depth. To the death of Christ. Than just being saved. From hell. I want to propose to you today that. Ephesians. Chapter 1. Tells us. Exactly why we were saved. And that is to praise God. First and foremost, God saved people so that those people when in turn praise Him and glorify Him. And so if you would, look at me in Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 3, and we're going to read through verse 14. If you would, please stand for the reading of God's Word if you're able. Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 3 all the way through verse 14. The Word of the Lord says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption, We're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. I ask that you would just bow with me as we pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is profitable to us to, to, to correct our understanding of things to show us where we are in error, and to affirm us when we are in truth. Father, I ask that as we look at your word this morning that you would open our eyes to see what you would have us see in this text, that you will show us Christ in this text, and that you will make change in our lives where there needs to be change. And all this I ask in the name of Jesus Christ and for his glory. Amen. What we need to understand is that Paul is writing to a church in Ephesus. And in Ephesus, what's going on there is that they have all these different temples. It's a very strong pagan place. But still, there is a church in this society that is flourishing. And a pagan secular society, as we even live in today, Paul is writing to a church that is flourishing. And so... The words that Paul says here are very applicable to us today. What Paul says to these Christians then is the same thing that God would have us know now. And it is my prayer to you that this message would be encouraging to you. That it would uplift you and edify you and give you encouragement to those of you in here that are genuine followers of Jesus Christ. Now for those in here that are not followers of Christ... It is my prayer that this would open to your eyes to the blessings that followers have in Christ. So today, my, my urge to you and what I want you to do is, I want to encourage you to praise the Lord. In this text, we see Paul in verses 3-14 through 14 giving reasons why he praises the Lord and why we should praise the Lord also. The first of these reasons is found in verse 5. And the first of these reasons is like God adopts you into His family. You have been made a part of the family of God. If you look with me in verse, really starting in verse 4, it says, In love He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. The first thing we see about God's adoption is that it was all on the basis of His love. In love, He made you a part of His family. Now, some implications of that are that He did not have to do it. He wanted to do it. God would have been just as good of a God to have not adopted anyone into His family and let us all continue in the life that we once lived. We'll see a little bit later that Paul describes that our life prior to following Christ, we were not children of God, but we were children of our father, the devil. We were following the course of this world in Ephesians 2. We were dead in our trespasses, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work, in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Before following Christ, this is who we are. We are sons of disobedience. We are children of wrath. We follow after our father, the devil. The idea here is that being a child of wrath is that God's wrath resides on you. And you live a life of complete rebellion against God prior to Him making you a part of His family. So God, out of His great love for you, adopts you into His family, makes you a part of His family. The kingdom of God. An heir with Christ. He makes you a part of His family. He didn't have to do it, but He chose to do it. He chose to make you a son or a daughter of Himself. The Creator of all that we see around us, the One who sustains your very life right now, decided to make you a part of His family. And Paul says here in the end of verse 5 that it was according to the purpose of His will, verse 6, to the praise of His glorious grace. So why did He make people a part of His family? So that His grace would be praised. So that we would bring glory and honor to His name and speak of His grace around and around. And all this is done through Jesus Christ. In fact, you'll see prior to this, we see that we have received every spiritual blessing in Christ. And then He's explaining what those spiritual blessings are. And this first spiritual blessing, the reason we should praise Him is that we have been adopted and made part of His family through Jesus Christ. Now, why does it have to be through Jesus Christ? Why is that? Well, to understand that, we have to understand who Christ is. In Mark chapter 1, when Jesus was baptized, a voice came from heaven and said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. God calls, God the Father calls Jesus Christ, the Son of God, beloved. It's a special type of love. It's not an ordinary, just, I love this, I love that, but it's a special, great love. And so it has to be through Christ because Christ is the one who is beloved. We are blessed in Christ to be a part of the beloved. So what, what does that mean? What that means is that on our own, as we said, we were dead in our trespasses following the course of this world and we're sons of disobedience. But Christ is not a son of disobedience. He is not a child of wrath. Jesus Christ is a son of God. And in, in the son of God's life, he lived this life, fulfilled every command of the law, and died and was crucified for you. He took on your sin. He died in your place. And when He rose again, He left the sin in the grave that He paid for and proved that He was who He said He was. And so through what Christ has done, through Him taking on the wrath of God on Himself, we can be blessed and be called part of the Beloved. Why? Because we are in Christ. In Christ, we have been adopted and made a part of His family, and He was happy to do it. He did not do it begrudgingly. He chose to do it because He loved you. And He is happy to do it, despite our initial rejection and rebellion against Him. We see as we've gone through the book of Romans several things that we are unrighteous, that naturally, left to our own tendencies, we freely choose to reject Jesus Christ, to reject God, and to do, reject all the things of God. But praise the Lord that as Romans 5 8 says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Think of it this way. Think of this in your mind. While I was a sinner, Christ died for me. So that I could become a part of His family. And praise the Lord once again, 2 Corinthians 5.21 For He made Him who knew no sin to become sin so that you may become a part of the family of God. And that is something to praise God for. And that is something that Paul himself praises to the Lord for here. Is that Paul himself was adopted into the family of God. And you yourself, if you have truly repented and believed, have been adopted into the family of God. That Christ truly did die for you. Even when you rejected Him. And He brings you and makes you a part of His family. I was at a associational meeting a couple of years ago, and we were in I believe it was, it was at the Spanish mission in maa texas that 's where we were and the at that time, the director of the Baptist children's home was there, and he was talking about how they just had a guy come in a guy and his wife had come in, and they were wanting to adopt, and they helped set up adoptions there that aren't just from foster kids or kids that are already born but for mothers who don't want to kill their child but no they can't take care of their child and want to give them up for adoption they help arrange that as well and so they had arranged for this child once delivered to be adopted by this one family now all the tests and everything they looked good <laughs> Going up all the way until the child was born. The child was born addicted to methamphetamines and with Down syndrome. A lot of times during these circumstances, the adopting parents will say, well, we, we don't want to have to deal with that. that that's a lot. We don't, we don't want to have to deal with that. But these parents looked at the doctor's at the adoption officers and just told them, Christ adopted me even though Christ adopted me in spite of my flaws. And so they said, we are going to adopt this child in spite of his flaws. That's the picture we see here that that Paul is explaining is that we have been made a part the family of God. Despite our flaws, despite our rejection of Him, despite our open rebellion against Him, we have been made a part of the family of God through Jesus Christ. And so Paul here is explaining, this is why we praise the Lord. It's to the praise of His glorious grace. We have been adopted. We have been made a part of the family of God. But this is in all that Paul says there is to praise God for. We see in verse 7 that we are to praise God because God forgives all of your sins. God forgives all of your sins. Verse 7, in Him we have redemption through His blood, through the blood of Jesus Christ the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will, according to the purpose which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in heaven and things on earth. God has redeemed you and has forgiven you. The word that says, "...in Him we have attained redemption," It's not just like a coupon. You go and you redeem a credit. When you look at that word, you see the English language, it just doesn't do justice to what's being said here. We do not have the word to describe this redemption here. The idea here is that this redemption was above and beyond the necessary payment. So in Him, we have received a redemption that is above and beyond what is necessary. And what we see is that through this blood of Jesus, we have been redeemed. But this blood that He shed is more than enough to cover our sin. It is more than enough to cover our sin. We have been fully redeemed through the blood of Jesus Christ. As we continue looking in verse 7, We've been redeemed. And then it clarifies what he means by redeemed by saying forgiven of all your sins. So through the death of Christ, through the blood that was spilt by Christ, our sins have been forgiven. So not only have we been made a part of the family of God, but he himself paid for our sin that kept us from being a part of the family of God in the first place. And so He did this by lavishing or literally showering us with His grace that He may make us a part of His family to forgive us of our sins as a plan for the fullness of time as it says here to reveal His mystery which was to unite things in heaven and in earth. Through the blood of Jesus Christ He has reconciled your relationship with God the Father. All since the fall, mankind has been trying and devising various ways in which they can create a way to restore their relationship with God. We lay down foundations and build up towers as they did at the Tower of Babel to try to make themselves like God, to reach God. But they failed. We try to do things to make ourselves look better for God. Or perhaps the most common that I hear talking to people, well, I've been in church my whole life. I'm baptized. I've obeyed the Ten Commandments. I haven't killed anybody. They list all these things that they have done in order to be saved. But what does this say? It says, no, Christ reconciled you. He has united things in heaven and earth. He has made you able to be in a relationship with God. Through Christ, we are able to have a relationship with, with God because He has forgiven us of our sins. And as we see in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, we see that that forgiveness, that grace that we receive, is not of our own, but it is all of grace. So this forgiveness of our sins is not based on our works. It's not based on our baptism. It's not based on our church membership. It's not even based on how long we've been sitting in a pew. It's based solely on the grace of God. We see in verse 8 that we've been saved through faith and this is not of your own doing. We did not earn it. It is a gift of God. Verse 9, chapter 2, not a result of works so that anyone can boast. We didn't earn it and we did not deserve it. But God freely chose to forgive the sins of those whom He has adopted. And He has done so through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so, He has adopted you into His family. That's one thing to praise God for. He has forgiven all of your sins. That's the second thing to praise God for. But there is still yet a third thing to praise God for. And we see that in verse 11. In verse 11, we see that God gives you an inheritance. He didn't just make you a part of His family and say, hey, you're a part of the family, it's, you're all good now. No, He gave you, made you a part of His family and has blessed you with something. He has an inheritance for you. So let's look in verse 11. In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. Verse 13, In Him you also, when you have heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. Here Paul is describing when he says, In Him we've attained an inheritance and then talked about so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. There he's talking about the Jewish believers at this time. Saying, we who were the first to hope so that we might be the praise of His glory and then said, and then you when you heard and believed are the same way. You see, they both were sealed by the Holy Spirit for their inheritance in the same way. The Jews when they heard the gospel and believed they were sealed. The Gentiles, when they hear the gospel and believe, they were sealed. Guess what? When you hear the word of the gospel, and you believe, and you repent, you're sealed. God gives you an inheritance. And this inheritance that we have, ultimately, is revealed to us in heaven. It is heaven. Our inheritance is to be part of the family of God in the kingdom of God, which is ultimately consummated in Heaven. If you look in Revelation chapter 21, Revelation chapter 21, starting in verse 1, we see this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be His people. And God Himself will be with them as their God. Now pay close attention to this, okay? This is important. Verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying nor pain anymore why for the former things have passed away in verse 5 and he who was seated on the throne said behold i am making all things new also he said write this down and for these words are trustworthy and true and he said i am the alpha And the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the springs of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage or inheritance. And I will be his God and he will be my son or my daughter. But as for the cowardly, for the faithless, the detestable, As for the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Praise the Lord that in Christ we have an inheritance that is not in the lake of fire, that is not a second death, but that we are in a place where God himself wipes away every tear from our eyes. For we will not have any more pain, there will be no more death, no more crying. That is the inheritance that we have to look forward to. Our inheritance, though, is a now, not yet type of thing. We are already partaking in the benefits of our inheritance. If you are a true follower of Jesus Christ, then you have already begun to partake the benefits of your inheritance. First off, you've inherited a whole bunch of brothers and sisters all around the world that walk with you and encourage you and build you up to godly living. That you walk with in discipleship and edification. You have your local church that when comes together, As part of the living stones of the temple of God. We see a picture of what heaven will be like. When we gather on Sunday mornings to worship. Where we sing praises to the Lord. And we hear from his word. And we are encouraged to walk this life. As these Ephesians did. In a society that is dead set against the kingdom of God. So our inheritance is a now, not yet. We have been made alive and have been made a part of God's kingdom. But yet still, when we pass, or when the Lord returns, we will obtain the true measure of our inheritance. It will be fully consummated in our death. Now, how do we know these things to be true? It is because we are sealed by the promise of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a guarantee of our inheritance. Why is that? Because it is the Holy Spirit of God who takes the Word of God and softens your heart and gives you the faith and repentance and seals you for the day of Jesus Christ when you will go and stand before His throne. And only those with the seal of God will be able to hear the words from Jesus that say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Because they have been sealed by the promised Holy Spirit. He preserves your faith. You will not fall away if you are truly saved. Because the Holy Spirit secures you. Your faith will stand. And so we have seen these reasons why we should praise the Lord. We have been made a part of His family. He has completely forgiven us of all of our sins. And He has secured our inheritance. There are many, many biblical ways that we can look at how to apply this truth to our life. And if you can think of a a great way other than what I'm saying, well, great. That's amazing. But if you want to get started right now, which we all should, if we want to apply what we've learned right now, then I have a few suggestions if you would let me say them to you. The first way is this. We all have something that we're struggling with. We all have sin that is in our lives that we do not want to put to sleep. And the reason for it is that we have constantly pushed it back to the back of our mind. We have convinced ourselves that what we're doing is not truly sin. We're just, you know, struggling a little bit. The first thing we must do is repent. I don't mean coming down and saying a prayer and saying, God, forgive me. That's not what I mean by repent. What I mean is that we need to have a change of mind, a change of attitude, not only toward the sin, but toward God. We have to have a change of mind, a change of attitude of who God is, what our sin is, and who we are as people. But not only that, we also need to have a change of attitude of mind as to who our fellow believers are. When we say repentance, it is way more than just a mental knowledge that, yeah, I'm a sinner. No, repentance is, yes, acknowledging, I am a sinner, I need to repent, I need to change my attitude, but it is also a purposeful plan and desire to abandon the old former ways and to live a life for Christ. And that goes for all of us in here. We all will make excuses as to why we don't need to do that or as to why we don't have sin that needs to be done. But we all need to repent and ask the Lord to reveal to us the areas in our life that are keeping us from being able to bring glory and honor and praise to the Lord. The second way that we can praise the Lord as we ought to is through evangelism and discipleship. Now, we hear those words and we think that we have this whole list of exactly what we're supposed to do and this is how it works. But let me tell you something, it is, it is simple. What do I mean by that? Men in this room, as you go home and as you sit at your dinner tables or wherever you're at, it's as simple as asking your spouse or your children or Let's say you're eating with your parents. It's as simple as you saying, hey, what did y'all think of today's message? What did you learn about Christ in today's message? What did you learn in Sunday school? It's as simple as that. It's as simple as just opening up your Bible and taking a passage of Scripture and reading it and telling you, see, you see what this says? This applies to you. It's as simple as that. But this is not just a thing for men. It's for the ladies in this room too. And for the men. As you go through your life, as you sit in your cars, driving around with people, as you're speaking on the phone, share what the Lord is doing in your life. Share the joys of Christ. As you visit people at the nursing home, as you visit people in hospice or wherever else you may be visiting them, while you're visiting people on their deathbed, share the joys of Christ. So what Paul did, he was encouraged by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, which saved him, and brought glory and honor to his name. And through Jesus Christ, that is what we are supposed to do too. So the question is this, will you praise the Lord? Not just on Sundays, but through every aspect and through every time in your life. Let us pray.